Welcome to the FOI Equip podcast, your free resource for learning and engaging with the scriptures from a Jewish perspective. Hi, everybody. I'm Chris Katolka. You know, the scriptures tell the story of God's chosen people and his plan to bring salvation to the whole world through Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. Come see why it matters that God would choose an ancient people to bring a timeless hope to a lost and broken world. Now, listen, I want to encourage you to go to foiequip.org to sign up to be on our mailing list. You're going to receive vital information on how you can join our free live online FOI Equip classes. Now get ready. Join our expert staff on the FOI Equip podcast as we teach the scriptures, unravel the colorful world of Jewish culture and customs, reveal God's prophetic plan, and so much more. Now enjoy this teaching from FOI Equip. Okay, I'm excited to welcome all of you here, and I'm really looking forward to this class. One of my favorite subjects whenever Mm -hmm. I have the opportunity to talk about it is to look at the concept of prophecy, and especially fulfilled prophecy, which, uh, as you really are going to understand, shows the power of God. So let's let's go. Why are we not? uh, Oh, I think... Let me let me go back here. Why is it not advancing? We went through this three times and it worked fine. And now it's not going to cooperate. Go ahead and share it, Tom. And then I'll I'll, yeah. Once you get it up there, just click on it. Uh, Click on the screen. Okay. There you go. I want to look at this. I call this the whys and wherefores uh, of prophecy. Why should we study prophecy? What purpose does prophecy serve? In a sense. This will kind of tie in a little bit with the conference that's going to be starting as we go on, because prophecy is very significant. Point one, this shows the divine origin of scripture. And I put some scriptures up here. I'm just going to highlight a few of these as we go through, just so that you can get a feeling for what uh, what the scripture says. So in the Old Testament, Isaiah 42, 9, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. God has told us exactly what he's going to do in the word of God. He has made it perfectly clear the beginning and the ending and how everything's going to plan out all the way through. Only God could do that. There is definitely a divine nature and a divine origin with scripture that people really need to be able to understand. He also says in Isaiah 46, 9 through 11, that you may say to the prisoners, go forth. To those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed along the roads, and their pastures shall be on all desolate heights. They shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither heat nor sun shall strike them. For he who has mercy on them will lead them. Even by the springs of water, he will guide them. I will make each of my mountains a road, and my highways shall be elevated. There's going to come a day when the Lord is again going to impact the earth, and he is going to change the way that everything is functioning. If he can set it from the beginning, he can certainly handle things through the end. And uh, prophecy is very important as we, uh, we're not clicking here, Chris. Why is this not clicking? Click on, click on the screen, Tom. Well, click on the, we went, we went too far. Now we have some in the new Testament. I don't want to go too crazy with this because we're going to use it again, but in Luke chapter 24, this is when Jesus was talking with the disciples on the road to Emmaus after his uh, resurrection. And if you want to know when the first class on messianic prophecy was, 
Go no further than Luke chapter 24, because Jesus taught that first class on Messianic prophecy. Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Notice he gives you the three divisions of the Hebrew scripture, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, the writings. So he's covering the entire scripture. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scripture. I think that is so significant that the first course on Messianic prophecy was taught by the Messiah himself. And he taught it with those that he really figured should understand it because he felt that the law, the prophets, and the writings were very clear. Obviously, Jesus felt that the scripture was very, very clear in what it said about him and, and what he came to do. We also see in John chapter 20, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The scriptures are written that you may know who Jesus is. It's amazing. I have been working with Friends of Israel since 1979, and back in 1980, I went out for some of the first times we were going door to door through Philadelphia with clipboards, and we were taking surveys of people's interest in spiritual things. Whenever we would get to a Jewish door, we would have an opportunity to share with them some scriptures, and some of the scriptures that we would share always included Isaiah 53. Do you know, whenever anybody read the words of Isaiah 53, you know what they said? That sounds like Jesus. How would Isaiah know about Jesus? Obviously, the words are clear enough to point to an individual person, just a, a mom with her children at the door, someone that just opened the door and we were talking to at their home. Isaiah 53 was clear enough in just the words without any comment from us that they felt that that sounded like Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus is telling us in the scriptures. These have been written that you might believe. And I think that's really significant for people to, uh, to understand the importance of the word of God. And it will not return unto God void. It's clear about who he is and what he came to do. Come on. Why are we not cooperating? You're making me look bad. Here, let's try this. There we go. Okay, it also proves the truth of Scripture. Prophecy proves the, the truth, the authority of Scripture. Now, here's a couple that we put in. These are referring to Israel. This isn't necessarily, obviously, going to be just messianic, but this is talking about prophecy in general. Prophecy proves the truth, the authority of Scripture. He says, I will destroy your high places. Cut down your incense altars and cast your carcasses on the lifeless forms of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you. I will lay your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries to desolation, and I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aromas. I will bring the land to desolation, and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate and your city's waste. That's Leviticus 26, 30 to 33. So clearly the Lord told the Jewish people as they were in the 
process of journeying to their land. They weren't even there yet. They came out in the Exodus. Leviticus is a book of non-movement within the, the Torah. It's the, the book of the priests. They weren't even moving. They were probably still camped at Sinai, and God's telling them exactly what's going to happen to the land that they haven't even gotten to yet, because God knew exactly what was going to happen, and God knew how it was all going to unfold. And we see that again here as we move through. I'm looking at Jeremiah 25. These are verses that talk about the, uh, the Babylonian captivity. Thus says, and the whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will come to pass when the 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. So I will bring on that land all my words, which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in this book, which Jeremiah has prophesied concerning all the nations. Jeremiah 25, 11 through 13. That's the passage that Daniel was reading in the book of Daniel, and he knew from when it began that the captivity was almost at an end. And if you remember the text in Daniel, he didn't know whether anybody was, was aware of it and were repenting. And so he began to pray, confessing his sin and the sin of the people of, of Israel so that God would relent and bring an end to the captivity, just as he promised he would. Because Daniel read the word, Daniel knew and understood what God said he was going to do. So clearly there is fulfilled prophecy. Every Jewish person knows there was a Babylonian captivity. Whether they're reform, reconstructionist, whether they're ultra-liberal or very, very orthodox, the Babylonian captivity is a reality that was foretold in Leviticus and realized through Jeremiah and Daniel and recorded in the word of God. So clearly it's significant that uh, that shows the truth as well as the divine origin and accuracy of the word of God. How about this one? Jesus predicting his betrayal in the gospel of John. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. For if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Then it goes on and says, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know who I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. Who He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. The scripture tells us, Jesus said, have I not chosen 12 of you? And yet one of you is, is the son of perdition. One is, is, is due to betray me. Jesus knew at the very beginning exactly how all this was going to unfold and what was going to happen. In fact, I'll go back so far as to say that Revelation tells us prophetically, Jesus was the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Before God, before God ever began creating the heavens and the earth, God knew how it was going to turn out and had already planned for mankind's redemption from the penalty of sin that we hadn't even done yet. So I, I think that's amazing. And the fact that Jesus knew who was going to betray him certainly should not take us by surprise. These 
are opportunities that we can use. I realize some Jewish people would struggle with the New Testament. Let me tell you, I've always asked their permission, and they've always been gracious enough to allow me to go to the New Testament and show them some things that are in there. And uh, I would do that here. I would just say, can I show you something? Because they don't know a lot about the New Testament. They certainly don't know a lot about uh, Jesus. And so I just showed them, said, you know that Jesus predicted this would happen, and here's what happened. It again shows authority. It shows the truth, and it proves the accuracy of God's word, and obviously the divine inspiration as well. And then it proves the Messiahship of Jesus. I think these, uh, these two passages are very significant. We've put up there about his lineage. Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and unto him shall the gathering of the peoples be. I don't know whether you understand this, but what that's telling you is a couple of things. Number one, someone is coming who is going to be identified as Shiloh. Shiloh here is not a place. This is talking about an individual. And number two, he's going to be the one that's going to be gathering not only Jewish people, but Gentiles. The word peoples indicates clearly that he was going to be going to the Hashemayim, the peoples. He was going to go to the boys and he was going to reach out to them. And he's told us that the, the, the scepter would not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until this ruler comes. The one who was to be born was going to be born of the tribe of Judah. And the first chapter in the New Testament gives us the most significant part of the entire New Testament to me, apart from the death of Jesus and his resurrection, is the birth and the fulfillment of the fact that the Messiah that would come would be of the house and lineage of David from the tribe of Judah, and that he would be born in Bethlehem of Ephrata. Very significant as far as messianic prophecy because God never forgot what he promised all the way back in Genesis because he's God and the scripture would be fulfilled in its complete accuracy and in its fullness. Very significant. Uh, I love these passages and I love to be able to, to share them and talk about them because Genesis, you understand, I think you've had enough classes and we've been through this a while to know that Jewish people really, rightly so, they revere the Torah, don't they? The Torah is the most significant to, to the majority of the Jewish people that we'll meet. Right here in the, in the first book of Torah, they call it Bereshit, which means in the beginning. But in that book of beginnings, in the book of Genesis, God has already told us some things about the Messiah. Number one, he's going to be of the, he's going to be a descendant of a woman, seed of a woman, Genesis 3.15. It's going to be a woman that's going to come, and, and there's going to be a descendant from that woman that's going to be related to Noah. It's a seed of a woman coming from one of Noah's sons, Noah's son, Shem. Shem is later the father of Abraham. So the, the seed of the woman is then we're told it's going to be one who would come from Shem, one who would come from Shem's son, Abraham, Abraham's son, Isaac, Isaac's son, Jacob. Throughout Genesis, God is funneling down exactly how this Messiah would come. Starts out very broad. Any woman, anywhere, any time in history could be the seed of the woman. But then we learn that woman's got to come, is going to come from, it's going to follow down that that woman is going to be in the line of Noah, Noah's son, Shem, and then Shem's son, Abraham, Abraham's son, Isaac, Isaac's son, Jacob, 
And ultimately, we end Genesis with the scepter will not depart from Judah. So look how far we've gone in the book of Genesis. We've gone from a very broad seed of a woman all the way down to we've gotten to the fact that the Messiah is going to come through the tribe of Judah. And then later we'll get to Samuel, and we know that the, the next heir that will follow is going to be Judah's son, David that he will be of the house and lineage of David. And that's exactly what Jesus said when he asked the religious leaders, what do you think of the Messiah, the Christ? Whose son is he? Their response was very biblical. They said, David's. They understood from the scripture, Messiah was going to be of the house and lineage of Judah and come through David. That's what's beginning here as we get to Genesis 49.10. And I think that this is amazing as we're going through that first book, how far the Lord gets it. And then this is really a miracle for the Jewish people. I hope you understand. I'm going to make a statement and uh, we'll see what happens. And if we get some debate, good. But Jesus is not my Messiah. Jesus is my Savior. I'm not Jewish. My wife, Lorna, is Jewish. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. He's not the Gentile Messiah. He's the Gentile Savior. He's, our, he's the one that we trust in so that we can be born again. But he didn't come to be my or your Messiah if you're not Jewish. But that Jewish Messiah was not only come for the Jewish people, he was going to go to the Gentiles. And we see this in Isaiah 42 and also working through uh, Isaiah 49. We see that he was going to go to the Gentiles. Let me grab my Bible here. Isaiah 42, 6. I wanted to write some of these down ahead of time so I didn't have to turn pages while we're in class, but uh, sometimes you just want to you just want to turn the pages of your Bible and, and you want to read the text right from the Bible. In Isaiah 42, 6, Scripture says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, and I will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. He goes on, verse 7, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. Verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to graven images. I love that. He's not only the Messiah, the Jewish people, but he was also a light, a savior for the Gentile world. And we see that as we read through the New Testament scriptures. Remember, one of, my, one of my favorite passages is when the Syrophoenician woman comes up to Jesus and asks him to heal the one in her life. And he says, but I've come only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she says, that's true, Lord. But even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She clearly understood something the Jewish people didn't because she said, look, when you come to the Jewish people, there's going to be a trickle down blessing that clearly is going to come to the Gentiles, just like the little dogs look forward to the food that falls from their master's table. So we're looking forward to that trickle-down blessing that will fall as you come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and yours, their Messiah. There's clearly going to be blessing that comes to us, and I'm just kind of asking for it early. And indeed, Jesus said, may it be done as you've asked, because I haven't seen such great faith even in all Israel. This, this Gentile woman understood something that the Jewish people have struggled and stumbled at almost since the beginning. 
that not only was he going to be their Messiah, but he was going to come. And folks, he was going to minister to the Gentile world. And he was going to bring us in to that relationship that he had with Israel. And he was going to allow us to be grafted in. And that's a symbol that that is, uh, I remember it. I was at a Lancaster Prophecy Conference many years ago. And I forget what I was preaching on, but I remember that one of the, the women who was there selling Jewish wares and products loaned me a shirt and I held it up and we could have sold a hundred of them that night. It was the symbol grafted in. Perhaps you've seen it. It's, it's got the Jewish star and it goes into the menorah and it starts out with a fish because it's showing that the Christians have been grafted in to Israel, to the Jewish people. And, and that's exactly what the Messiah came to do. And I'll tell you, that blessing, I hope, is something that we're all here celebrating and enjoying on a regular basis. But I do need you to know he's not our Messiah. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. And he's our Redeemer and God. But he's the Jewish Messiah. And I think that's really significant. We don't want to take that which is theirs. Now, I mentioned early on that the Messianic prophecy has been used by, by three people. And I mentioned Peter, Paul, and Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, I think we'll all remember this amazing sermon. This really began the church when the apostle Peter stood up on Pentecost and he preached that phenomenal message that led to thousands coming to Christ. He says in verse 14, it says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, Let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour. It's uh, really 9 a.m. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, said God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit. In those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show, verse 19, wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and notable day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined counsel and for knowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, and then it goes on, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my faith will also rest in hope because you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor allow your Holy One to see corruption. That's a quote from Psalm 16. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. That's part of that tremendous sermon that Peter gave. And he's talking, even as he quotes Psalm 1610, he's placing that squarely and saying, this is a reference to what God promised that he would do with regard to Jesus, that he would not allow his soul 
or his body to see corruption. One of those messianic prophecies that's tucked away in the Psalms. So Peter used it. We also see that, uh, well, let's see. Why won't you just cooperate with me? Paul used it. Again, in Acts chapter 9 and also 17, and then the most powerful, I, I love in 1 Corinthians 15, I think we're all familiar with this, especially as we're getting close to a celebration of Resurrection Day. 1 Corinthians 15, very significant uh, passage on the resurrection, and it's so beautifully clear. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He's telling you that Jesus died, and it goes back to what was promised in the word of God. Then it goes on and he says, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The word of God was clear what Jesus came to do. And as we go through some of these messianic prophecies over the next couple of weeks, you're going to be able to see, as Paul did, and you're going to understand, as Paul did, exactly how the Old Testament really was opened up through the New Testament as these great men and as the scriptures came alive through the life and ministry of Jesus. And then finally, one of the greatest passages on Messianic prophecy I already mentioned, but Jesus rode to Emmaus, appearance and ministry to the disciples as they traveled on the very day that he arose from the dead. I just read this passage just because I really enjoy, and the words of Jesus are just so powerful as he opened up the scripture and as he shared with them. And here in chapter 24, I'm going to pick up in verse 13, just so that we can get the flow. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was, verse 15, while they were while they conversed, and they reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened here these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And then they began to explain what happened. And certain women said that he had arisen from the dead, but they hadn't experienced that yet. Verse 25, then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ, the Messiah, to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What an amazing, what an amazing class that must have been as they walked that seven-mile journey to, to, to Emmaus to have the the scripture's author opened up the text and it literally would come alive as, as he explained how all of this pertained to him. What an amazing opportunity that must have been. Now, I put this up here and I want to talk about this as we come to 
really kind of the conclusion of our first lesson. I want to talk about this and ponder this a little. Now, there are at least 333 messianic prophecies that paint a clear picture of the Messiah in the Hebrew scriptures. Now, look at this. The odds of one man fulfilling just 50 of these prophecies is that number there, which is like 1,125 billion. I looked it up online to see how to pronounce it because this was beyond me to figure out what it was, but it was 1,125 billion. So one man fulfilling 50 of 333 messianic prophecies in the scripture, of which everyone has ascertained there's about 333. One man fulfilling any 50 of these is 1,125 billion to one. Now, those are really huge odds. Now, if you add two more prophecies, and I like this account here. I took this right from John Meldow's book. The, uh, the prophets still speak, and it says that the you add just two more prophecies to this, and this is in the uh, chapter one, the amazing, uh, the amazing drama. It says that the odds really this the chance exceeds all the numbers to express anything that we could ever imagine in our mind or our knowledge. It's just phenomenal when you start to look at 333 guaranteed prophecies being fulfilled in any one person. That is huge. It says here that uh, the, the immense improbability that they would take place by chance exceeds all the power of numbers to express or the mind of man to grasp. We couldn't even begin to comprehend the number that would fit if we're just talking about 52. 52 of 333. Now take all 333, and we couldn't put the number down because it's so large. Folks, that's what God can do. God says, I will and I work. Who can hinder it? God is able to do whatever he wants to do because he's God. And the fact is, we're not making this up. We're not putting this together. We're not destructuring this to say this is what it says and this is how it's fulfilled. Obviously, it's clear enough that the word of God itself attests to the fact that there is a man that would fulfill this, and that man was Jesus. So we're not taking this and, and just playing with it. We're not making it fit and force-fitting the puzzle pieces together. We're actually just looking at the word of God. And um, C.I. Schofield had written a book that said, Rightly Dividing the Word of Truth. We are, we believe and understand through the teaching of the word, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I get to ponder that throughout this week as we, we kind of, we're going to take time for questions. But as we ponder and think about Messianic prophecy, we're going to look at some specific prophecies as we go through, not just the ones that you're familiar with, but some other ones. But the point is the odds are astronomical that this would all be fulfilled in one individual. That is, that's, that's off the charts. And that just continues to, to blow me away. And then when you start looking at all the fulfillment of all the prophecy, we've talked about Israel, and you know that, you know, look, if it came to pass in the past, it's going to come true in the future, because God's word is different than any other book that's ever been written. Back in 2010, uh, I found myself in the hospital going through cancer. And I remember when I was in the hospital here in, uh, in New Jersey, 
that someone came to visit me from Princeton Theological Seminary. I was really excited to have visitors because most of the day I sat around and read my Bible and that was about it. There was not a whole lot that was going on because there was nothing on television that was worth watching. I felt like when I was in the hospital, all that was on was Jerry Springer and that was not worth the time of day. So I was happy to have a visitor. Well, this gentleman came in, but there was an interesting issue because the gentleman who visited me as a pastoral representative of Princeton Cemetery, and that's why I call it that because Princeton Seminary, he didn't believe in God. He wasn't saved. And as he came and started trying to cheer me up, I, I just stopped him. I said, look, hold on a second. I don't mean any disrespect, but people on the sixth floor are here and we're dying. We're dying because of cancer. And we need hope. We need the, we need the truth. Jesus is the truth. You know, there's lots of good books written. And I saw, you know, you can come here and read War and Peace. It's a great book, but it's not going to change lives. Gone with the Wind, wonderful book, not going to change lives. The Bible is the only book that's ever been written that can change a life. And I said, you need to come and you need to share the scripture. You need to talk about the Lord because that's what people on the sixth floor of this hospital need. They need the Lord. He asked if I was going to be there later in the week. And I said, I didn't think so. But I said, if I am, I'd love for you to stop back. He said he didn't think so. He didn't think that was in his best interest. Obviously, he was really not concerned about the Lord Jesus. The scriptures are written. Jesus said, John 20, these are written that you might believe. That's why the Bible is written. The Bible is here not only to, to answer questions. It's here so that you might know who Jesus is, who God is, and how you can have a relationship with him. And one of those big parts of that relationship is who is the Messiah of Israel? And where did he come from? And what do we know about what he was going to do? Because it was all foretold before the foundation of the world. And I really take great confidence in that. And I rejoice in it. I really do. And I hope you do too. I hope you do too. Thank you for listening to our FOI Equip podcast. Again, I want to remind you to go to foiequip.org and sign up to be on our mailing list. We'd love to see you at one of our free live online FOI Equip classes. Also, be sure to listen to our other podcasts like the Jew and Gentile podcast hosted by yours truly and Steve Herzig. Also, the Gesher podcast hosted by Ty Perry. You can find out more ways to get involved with the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry by visiting foiequip.org. FOI Equip is an outreach of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide evangelical ministry proclaiming biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while bringing physical and spiritual comfort to the Jewish people. Hey, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you soon.